Welcome and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Marvin Telemontis, the pastor of River Rock Fellowship. Hope this inspires you and builds up your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Well, hey, everybody, welcome to River Rock Fellowship Online Messages. I'm Pastor Marvin. If you're a guest, please feel free to check us out at rrf.church. You know, today we're concluding our series in the Ten Commandments. So let's open up with prayer and get right into it. Well, Father God, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. And Lord, how relevant and real the Ten Commandments are for us today. I pray you would just bless those who are viewing this. And Lord, they would sense your presence and know that if God is for them, who could be against them? Father, your will, Father, your way. In Jesus' holy name, amen. You know, we've taken the approach that the Ten Commandments have been given to us as a love letter from our Heavenly Father versus being some kind of divine decree by an angry, bitter deity. I mean, the Ten Commandments are essential to building a strong and healthy civilization. In the Ten Commandments, the numbers 6, 7, 8, and 9, well, those are the ones that prohibit the acts of murder, adultery, stealing, and perjury. That means lying. Then there is this commandment that prohibits the thing or the heart issue that's leading to violating 6, 7, 8, and 9. Which one is it? It's the last one. It's number 10. Let's read it. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. It says, You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not cover, covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. You know, in order to really understand this commandment and its unique significance, the first thing to understand is that the commandment is the only one that addresses a person's heart or the way they think. All of the other commandments pertain to a person's outward behavior, but not this one. To covet is so much more than the idea of, I kind of want something, or I really desire something for myself. In the Hebrew, the word for coveting is defined as to want or desire to, to the point of seeking to take and own something that which belongs to somebody else. In this definition, there are two real operative components to look at. One is seeking to take to own. And the other component is that which belongs to another person. So seeking to take and to own, it, it, it does not just mean envying or to lust after. See, an uncontrolled envy and lust can surely lead to, well, some really bad things. And they both can be psychologically and emotionally destructive. But neither envy or lust are something that's prohibited 
in the Ten Commandments. Why? Because neither is the same as coveting. Coveting is when you want something so bad that you seek to obtain another person's specific possession or their non-material possession. That means their reputation, their dignity, their intellectual property. Or if you can't have it, you say then nobody else can have it. And then the evil begins. So the question, why is thou shall not covet in the Ten Commandments? Well, let's look at James chapter 1, verse 15. Then, when desire, that's just really another form of coveting, right? When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. As James tells us, when desire, when covetousness is conceived in the inner person, in my heart, in my thoughts, that is where the sin originates from. And in this case, covetousness is the forerunner of all manner of sin. Coveting. It goes beyond just casting a, a longing glance at your neighbor's brand new car in their driveway. When a person is trapped by a covetousness in their heart, it, it is quite common for that person to feel feelings about their neighbor and their friend in such a way that they now resent them, if not literally despise and begin to hate them because they covet something that that other person has. And you ask, well, why would they begin to hate? Why would they begin to be resentful? Well, because if they want to take that which belongs to somebody else, it's a whole lot easier on the inside of us to make that person our enemy to justify what we're doing to a person who's done you no wrong. See, God's reasons for condemning covetousness are based in love. At its very core, coveting is nothing more than a form of idolatry. Remember, God knows that He alone is everything you and I will ever need. And idol worship is a massive obstacle, a distraction from you having everything you need and more simply by worshiping and being in relationship with God. Being envious, being covetous, is to say that you look at God as being unwilling or unable to meet all of your needs. But it says in Matthew 6.33, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need you see how the enemy of your soul will lie to you yet the word of god says seek him first and his righteousness and he'll take care of all those things god wants you to have things satan again he uses envy 
He uses covetousness to distract distract us, to cause us to pursue things that are totally opposite of God. And before we know it, it's nothing more than idolatry. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, 6 and 8. Yet true godliness and contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Now, furthermore, the New Testament It also identifies covetousness as a form of idolatry, a sin which God very much detests. Let's look here at Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. God is not saying that you're not allowed to own things. He's saying that things are not to own you. Only God can own you. And he's not going to let anybody compete for your heart. See, true happiness is not attained by the collecting of things, but by a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Where the unsearchable riches of God are found. Grace and mercy. You know, it's in Philippians that Paul truly teaches in a very clear way all that we need to know about living a life of contentment. When we're in a daily relationship with God, not a daily spiritual duty, but a true daily relationship with our Heavenly Father, then we are able to view and experience a godly peace that is beyond explanation and our understanding. Let's go to Philippians Chapter 4, verse 6 through 8. And then we're going to just skip right down to verses 11 and 12. Paul is so excellent on speaking about contentment here. He says, don't worry. I mean, what? He's telling you, don't be afraid. Don't get concerned. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace. How do you get peace? Don't worry. Pray and thank Him for everything. That's how you get godly peace. Which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. And now... Dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Now we're going to move down to verse 11. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. 
I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Contentment is the key. Paul the Apostle figured this out. And so do we. We need to figure out that if we trust in the Lord, He will supply all of our needs according to His riches and glory. Folks, if you struggle with coveting other people's things or their life, then what you are really struggling with is contentment in Jesus. The more Jesus in your daily life, the more contentment you will have in every area of your life. Now, no document in history has so changed the world for the better than the Ten Commandments. Western civilization, which really developed universal human rights, or created women's equality, or ended slavery, or created parliamentary democracy, among other unique achievements, none of that would have been developed without the Ten Commandments. And the more that Western civilization follows God and the Ten Commandments, the more the injustices of our nation and our world become corrected and changed. The Ten Commandments are as relevant today as they were when they were given to us 3,000 years ago. In fact, the Ten Commandments are so relevant that they are all that are necessary to make for a good and free world, free of tyranny and free of brutality and cruelty. Imagine for a moment if in the world we just applied just two of the Ten Commandments where there was no murder and no stealing. Our world would not need military. There would be no need for police or even weapons because there would be no murdering and there would be no stealing. People of all ages could literally walk anywhere at any time of night with no fear of harm or violence. Imagine. Imagine further a world where no one coveted that of what their neighbor had. Or a world where children, young and old, would honor their parents. Imagine a world where people obeyed the mandate to not lie in or out of a court of law. Folks, the recipe for a good world is all there in the wonderful love letter called the Ten Commandments. But there is a catch. A world like this is predicated on the belief that the Ten Commandments were given to us by an authority higher than man, higher than a king, higher than a government. That's why the sentence preceding the Ten Commandments said this. 
Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying. Notice it didn't say a man, a man named Moses, a king, or a pharaoh. No, or, or a government. It said, God said these things. You see, the Ten Commandments, as great as they are, were not given by human authority. Otherwise, people all over the world could be challenging them. They could say, who is this Moses? Who is this king? Or who is this government that tells me what I must do and not do? So why, so why is God indispensable? Why is He indispensable to the Ten Commandments? Because to put it as directly as possible, if it isn't God who declares murder wrong, then murder isn't necessarily wrong. And of course, this strikes some people as incomprehensible, even absurd. Many are probably thinking, is this guy saying that you cannot be a good person if you don't believe in God? No, I'm not saying that. Of course, there, there are good people. People who, let's say we say, there are people who do good things and there are who, who don't believe in God. They do acts of kindness. And there are people who actually believe in God and they do bad things. And some of you are also thinking, I believe that murder of innocent blood is wrong. I don't need God to tell me that. Now that response is half true. It may be true that you believe that murder is wrong. It's the next part that's in dispute. If you're an atheist and you say you believe that murder is wrong, that's good. But you still need God for your moral compass. We all need God to tell us what is right and what is wrong. You may have figured out that murder was or is wrong on your own without God and the Ten Commandments. But how do you know that it is wrong? I, I didn't say believe that it is wrong. I'm, I'm saying, how do you know that it is wrong? The fact is, you can't. None of us can. Because without God, the idea of right or wrong are just somebody's personal belief or somebody's personal opinion. Someone might think that shoplifting is okay. And another person would say, no, I don't believe that at all. Unless there is a God of all morality to tell us what is right and what is wrong, then we're all left with people's opinions and personal beliefs. There's no standard. Another problem with the view that you do not need God to believe that murder is wrong 
is a lot of people have not shared that view at all. And we don't have to go back very far in human history to see this and to prove this to be true. In the 20th century, millions upon millions of people in communist societies like China, the Killing Fields, Pol Pot, North Korea, as well as the Nazis, they murdered countless people. And I'm not talking about dying in an act of war. We're not talking about soldiers. We're talking about innocent blood. His name's David Satter of the Wall Street Journal. On November the 6th, 2017, at 6.43 p.m., he posted an article and he wrote and, that he wrote, and it's titled, quote, 100 Years of Communism and 100 Million Dead. The Bolshevik plague, meaning communism, that began in Russia was the greatest catastrophe in human history. So let's not be so easily tempted or to be so confident about people's ability to figure out what is right and what is wrong without a divine authority guiding them. It's all too easy to be swayed by a government that's corrupt or a demagogue or a corrupt social media or a, an ideology that's plagued in academia or to rationalize that the wrong that you are currently doing in the end justifies it for the good cause. And even if a person is able to figure out what is right and wrong, God is still necessary. People who know the difference between right and wrong do the wrong thing all the time, even though they know it. Why? Well, in part because they know they can get away with it. And they also know that no one is paying enough attention to care. In other places, people are getting away with violating the law because there's nobody there to make sure law and order is happening. I mean, locally, I'm told that police will not even go into a residential, go and investigate a residential robbery. I know, it happened. Or they don't even send out police if there's a known thief in the store who has robbed multiple times. I know, I was at the store when it went down and I spoke with the manager. Now, I'm not speaking about the average beat cop. The leadership of the city, they determined to make that decision to no longer police certain crimes. Wow. Who would have thought that figuring out what is right and what is wrong would be so difficult? It seems reasonable to me that everyone wants to live in a city 
of civility, of law and order. So if a civilization lived with a core value that the Ten Commandments was both a free will, personal desire by every citizen, and a personal want to, by all of its citizens of that community, then everyone would have a place to live that's civil, that's safe, that's peaceful, a place to call home. Folks, even an atheist would have to admit that any society of people who chose to live by the Ten Commandments would have a more moral, a more safe, a more peaceful society than what we have today. In 3,000 years, no one has come up with a better system to live by than the God-based Ten Commandments. For making a better world, and no one ever will. Because the Ten Commandments are truly God-breathed, and they're not man-made. What a love letter the Ten Commandments are from God to us. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, without you, it's impossible to live by the ten, the ten loving commandments. But with you, we can do all things. There's such incredible love and wisdom in your ten rules for us. God, give us a passion to live by the Ten Commandments each and every day of our life. I pray blessing on your people. I pray, Father, that they would feel that that desire, that passion to live by God's Word and by God's Ten Commandments each and every day. Would you bless them? We pray, Father, your will. We pray, Father, your way. In Jesus' holy name, amen. God bless you. Well, we hope this message helps you to take your next step closer to Jesus. Here's a great question to ask yourself right now. How will I be different because of what I just heard today? Well, for more info about us, go to rrf.church or find us on Facebook. I'm Pastor Marvin thanking you for taking the time to join us.